Spring of Life Fellowship and the vision of changing the world invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Let's listen to our guest. Let's welcome Bishop Boone. Thank you for bringing Catherine. Glory to God. I just, um, we just came off of a spending some time together um, on a cruise, actually. And I'll, get, I'll tell you this. It, 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 we've been on a number of cruises, Greek Island cruises, Alaskan cruises and all. But this cruise, this time, I believe it was probably one of our greatest cruises ever. And I want to say, and I don't know what, I mean, what does great look like? And uh, I would say it was this particular cruise and um, because she did everything I said. So it was... <laughs> no, 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 no. We know better than that. But um, we've been married 41 years. We, uh, we're headed towards our 42 years. Uh, of course, um, um, pastor, your pastor and uh, Jorge... George was there when I celebrated my 40 years in ministry also, and uh, I thank God for it. I mean, I, I, I'm 66. I don't care. I mean, it's irrelevant point for me. I love God. I just, I'm so thankful that he's real to me. And, uh, and, and you know what? He seems to be getting more and more real, and that's the way it is. And to me, the retrograde that I see in the world, the falling away, all the craziness that's going on with some of our national leaders, that, that isn't what God is doing. And I'm, I thank God that he's made it clear to me that what he's doing is the most important thing I could ever see. And so I'm going to talk with you this morning about some of that. And if you're looking at the politicians or if you're looking at ISIL, uh, I was saying to my wife this morning in the hotel, if, if, um, if America didn't have CNN news or Fox news or the global services, we would never pay any attention to any of that stuff that's going on. The fact that someone who was just uh, uh, had their head cut off by ISIL is spread all over and we look at that as so sad, but if we clearly looked at what they're doing in Indonesia, the Muslims, it's ISIL, Islam, the whole, uh, not, not every Muslim, of course, I'm not even going to defend that, and we know that's true, is like that militant group. But the foundation of what the Bible says about the child of Abraham's flesh, which is Ishmael, he said he's going to be a wild man. And he will be against the children of promise. And you may not think much of this, but, but that whole group denies Israel's right to exist. What kind of terminology is that? You mean you're saying that, that those people over there, the children of promise, they shouldn't even live? Well, yeah. And they call us, largely, if you read, we're infidels. We are infidels and we know Jesus. And the goal, watch this now, is to convert everyone to Islam. 
Well, actually, if you study clearly the Great Commission mandate. Now, let, let, you're used to it, but let me just say it the way it is. Matthew 28, Jesus said to his disciples, he appeared, the Bible says in Mark 16, he appeared to 11. Eventually, there was 12. And he said to them in Matthew 28, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And then he says this, make disciples of nations. What? You mean what these other people are believing in their countries convert them and make them your disciples so they would follow what he taught them? Clearly, yes. So what Christians, the disciples, were commanded to do, Islam seems to be passionate about. Now, Christianity in the country that has a bibliocentric foundation of the early Puritan ethic breaking away from the king of England to come over to establish a nation where the gospel could be preached, where they could convert and disciple a, a, a nation that would be bibliocentric, that would be God-honoring. Now, Christians have to shut up in their own nation. And so if you work in business, they say, shut up, don't talk about Christ. If, if you have gone to the Ivy League schools, Every Ivy League, if you understand Ivy League schools, you know, Harvard, Yale, Brown, Princeton, Dartmouth, these schools, every one of them except one was founded as Christian schools to teach religion. And for the first 80 years, every one of them did nothing but train ministers. And now you're in denial about your roots? You mean, I, you know, I've been to numbers of those schools and colleges and universities and... Uh, and in some instances, they said, well, Wellington, would you please not uh, talk religion? Um, I said, well, could I talk history? And they said, well, well, yeah, as long as you stay historical. Well, then, okay, that's clear. You're a knucklehead because if I talk history, I'm going to clearly have to talk about religion because that's the foundation of our country. Now, we have young people today that don't know what I just said. They don't know that the Ivy League schools for 80 years only trained ministers. And on and on and on. They don't know in terms of our own uh, history of in elementary school and middle school, we would study the great awakenings of our country as a part of history. And Jonathan Edwards' sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, you had to learn that in school studying American history. But now, what? The soldiers, I commissioned some soldiers from Italy who were going to be commissioned to Iraq, and they were told not to take their Bibles. You're going to go over and deliver a country from the bondage of terrorists and terrorism, risk your lives, and the premise that your whole country was based on, which was the Bible, you can't take the Bible over with you? And you can't proselytize? I say, you out of your mind. I'm going to talk to every person I see about Jesus. And, I, and not only that, I'm going to take the Bible. I'm going to take the Bible. This gospel of the kingdom should be preached as a witness to the whole world. Then shall the end come. So guess what? The end of the world is not going to be having the right president, but having the right preacher. It's going to make the difference, I'm telling you right now.
So, okay, that's where, that's how I roll. So, and I can't help it if I'm right about this. Your pastor is like this. Now, this is what I love. I said it back in the back, Joe. I said that uh, your, your pastor would have been, in my view, an early disciple that Jesus would have chosen. I don't know how many Christians I could say that about. Because with the kind of Americanism has kind of been integrated into Christianity. Because we say things like, how would we raise enough money to eat? What will my children do? What will my family do if I would become a disciple? Because Jesus, the disciples said to Jesus, we've left all to follow you. So we think that leaving all to follow Jesus is a big deal. Well, that's how you start with Jesus. Jesus does not come to be a part of your life. Amen. That was a great opportunity to say amen. Thank you. I got one. All I need is two. If two of us shall agree, we, we got it. But you start with everything. Why? Because he's worthy. I couldn't choose a better priority for my life than to give my whole life to the one who created me. So if I give my whole life to Jesus, what I'm going to become is way greater than what I could choose for myself because I'm the created. He's the uncreated. He existed by reason of himself. He's called El Shaddai. He always was. Now define that for me. That somebody like that would have made himself known to me. I'm, I'm going all the way in this. I'm going all the way. And you know what? That is not even a big deal because he's worthy. He's worthy of that. And so, to me, everything I just said to you, everything, was just the basics. That's not even the real serious stuff. But we have a generation that don't even know what I just told you. They don't read the Bible. I was telling, um, uh, I was talking back in the back, and I was saying, I've gone to uh, mega churches. I just left the church, uh, uh, 5,000. I mean, and uh, in that church, I didn't ask them. I have asked them before. How many of you eat food every day? Let me see hands. And I, I, I wasn't really asking you, but I did ask them that because my next question is a little more serious. And uh, I said, how many of you eat food every day? And they all raised their hands, of course. I said, because we need food for our basic health, don't we? And then I said, how many of you read the Bible every day? You don't miss a day. I've never gotten more than 20% of a church to raise their hands. Never. The Bible says man shall not live by bread alone. See, that's the natural food where 100% of the people raise their hands. But by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God shall man live. That's Deuteronomy 8. So you eat natural food to strengthen the flesh every day, and yet... You don't read the spiritual food to strengthen who you really are, the permanent part of you, the eternal part of you every day. Natural food gives you natural strength. Spiritual food gives you spiritual strength. And he says, man shall not live by natural food every day, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So to miss a day means of the spiritual food means you don't take it seriously. That's why I'm calling the message this morning eternity training. There you go. All right. So let's start out. I got my little, uh, little uh, 
iPad. I, I clearly didn't know how to use it that well. And I didn't even know how to get the information until uh, somebody helped me out. But I got it now, so that means we're going for it. First Peter chapter 3. I want to talk to you, first of all, about the year of the eight. And I can say that in 3 and verse um, 18. And um, I call this year 2015 the year of the eight. Because if you add 2015, that number is the number for eight. It's the number eight. And I call this the year of the eight because eight is a particular number that's special, both in biblical chronology and also I believe that it's important for you to understand what time it is seasonally. You can know um, the times and the seasons in terms of what God is saying through a lot of different understandings that he gives you. But I'm going to give you the importance of the number eight through the Bible. So here, I want you to look at this uh, in verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah, look at this, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls were saved through water. There is also an antitype which now saves us. Baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, Angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. My father, thank you and bless you for the revelation of your word. I thank you for your people. These are the ones that who are good ground for revelation. That they're not going to live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of your mouth. I pray, oh God, that I would give them a word that they would sense came from you. That their hearts would be good ground to hear something that relates to forever, not just for now. And Lord, I pray in the name of the Lord that you give them spiritual understanding and the knowledge of you. That every work of the devil against them would be destroyed. And that the spirit of wisdom and revelation would come. And they would be the people that say, yes, Lord, to you. And Lord, we defeat the devil. We defeat the spirit of quitting. We defeat sickness and diseases, viruses, germs of every kind. Every demonic stronghold, we break the power of the devil and his work over your people. And Lord, we declare the goodness of God in the land of the living. These are the ones that are ready to be the ones you can send to make a difference. And while others are quitting, the fire is burning stronger with them. You didn't save them for nothing. You didn't keep them to just make it. You saved them because your destiny is to be fulfilled through their lives. Do it, Lord. Faithful are you who call them, who also will do it. I give you praise and glory for it. In Jesus' name I pray. And all the people said, Amen. Amen. Woo! Glory to God. Oh, man. I almost like prayed like the Africans pray. You know, they just, they pray the whole Bible and then they preach it. 
Yeah, that's what they do. But matter of fact, I was in the Seoul career at Paul Yonggi Cho's church once, and uh, he has the world's largest church. Believe it or not, you may or may not have heard about it. I think I know your pastor probably have told you about it. But it has 800,000 members in that church. And even when I was over there, which was in 89, they had 10 services on Sunday, 75,000 apiece in each service. 25,000 in the main sanctuary, 10,000 in the basement, 5,000 other parts of the building, and in several parts of the cities, like we simulcast now, you know how these churches now have these services where they have several locations now, and they're kind of doing that. No pastors in one location is being simulcast from the main sanctuary. They were doing that 20 years ago, uh, Yonggi Cho, way ahead of us. But the foundation of, of that kind of veracity was women praying and their church being a house of prayer. I went over there because I heard that they had prayer going on 24 hours a day, and they had a mountain called Prayer Mountain that there were 10,000 people praying 24-6, 24-7. I said, oh, wait a minute. I'm, 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 in, I'm that. I'm a house of prayer. I'm, I'm into this. So I had to go over there. And I, I didn't like the fact that there was someone in the world praying at that pace, and I didn't know about them. And secondly, I said, if they're going to pray like that, I got to get over there and see this and get a part of it. So I did. I went over there, and one of my pastors went with me. He's now a pastor in Charlotte, Bishop now, Bishop Larry Jackson. He became a promise keeper speaker too. He's probably spoken more than I have in it. And Coach McCartney still loves him and still prays for us every day. Uh, so, and so I got over there and they had these grottoes. And a grotto was like a cutout from the mountain like this. And you, and you had a little door with a little hole in it. And you kind of open it up because, you know, the Koreans are short. So I'm American, so I had to kind of, Get down and crawl in there. You know, it was just, it was, it was about my height. But you get down on the floor. The idea had wood floor like this wooden step here. You get down there and you start praying. And the walls were like this. And, man, it was hot. I was in the summer. I'm thinking, man, this is uncomfortable here. Now, in Richmond, Virginia, I was called Booga Booga Wellington. Booga Booga is a word from Ghana. Ghana. That means serious, serious. They called me in Richmond. Booga booga, because they felt I was serious about prayer. And I'm kind of like I'm talking to you right now. The difference is we have 5 a.m. prayer going on every morning like we do now in Atlanta. We do it now. Atlanta that way. We have, uh, we have shut-ins, meaning we come together as a church and three days shut-in at least four times a year. We have a 21-day Daniel's fast. We've been doing that for over 30 years where you only eat vegetables and drink water. No coffee, okay? No Cuban coffee. No, like, okay, none. For 21 days, you're going to get uh, delivered from all of that. And because Daniel said no pleasant food. The idea is you do nothing pleasant, no sweets, no salt, no soda, none of it. And we've been doing that for years. And then we'd gather as a city by the thousands and pray. And I would have to go to meet pastors and just plead with them to get their people to come together and pray because my house would be called a house of prayer. And um, sometimes I had to wash feet to do it, to get them to do it, because they just they weren't willing to do the Bible. So you have, somebody has to go low and humiliate yourself. Just go down low, Boone. That's what I did. 
So they looked at me in Richmond as serious. So I'm going over to, to Korea thinking, I'm serious business over here. So I got in that grotto, man. I didn't hardly last any more than about six hours. You know why? Because I was American serious. I was not Korean prayer serious. It was too hot, plus the little bugs like crawling around. I'm sweating and everything. I'm on the hard floor, and I'm thinking, man, I had to get out of there. Then I went down to the sanctuary. They had thousands praying down there. I said, okay, now I got this. Yes, sir. I got in there. They were packed, and there was no carpet. It was tile. Some of them had their blankets that they were getting on, but they were packed in there, and the agents they could sit like this. No, I had knee trouble. I couldn't sit like that. So I had to kind of get down, like, on one side, and I was kind of kicking people, you know. You know, I was taking up too much room, American, fat, you know. <laughs> and, you know, and so, man, oh, God, I only lasted maybe like an hour there. <laughs> Finally, man, I went away dejected, and I went down to the, and then I discovered that in the main sanctuary, they had all-night prayer. I said, yes! Man, so I went in there. I couldn't wait. It starts at 10 o'clock, pray all night. And I got in there, and they let Americans in first. And so I went in there, and, boy, I saw when they opened the doors of that place, those people were like a mob, like, you know, coming to church. You know how some Americans, they come to church, they're just like, they feel like, you know, I've done you a favor. I've come to your church today, kind of like that, you know. <laughs> and don't keep me too long because, you know, I, I got the, uh, what do you call it, the thing? I got the Super Bowl that's coming on, so look, so, you know, whatever, don't worry, he's not using you that much, so go ahead, look at the Super Bowl, matter of fact, go now and do the, what do they do when they do, they do the thing, uh, tailgate, go ahead and start your tailgate now, <laughs> say, okay, because that's how we feel, I mean, it is, but look, not those people, they opened the doors for them to come in, Americans got to go in first, so I was up on the balcony, when they opened the doors, man, I thought it was like a mall, that's impressive. Boom! They rushed in that place so fast. You, I mean, to get a seat in the main sanctuary, you got to, boy, I mean, you got to be early, early, early. They packed that place out, man. And then they start praying, and then they'd say, the guy would give them a topic. He said, we want to pray for North Korea. They need to be saved. There is no revival in North Korea. And they'd say, Joe, 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 three. And then they start praying, man. They would start praying the heart. Oh, they would pray. They'd be shaking like this, shaking, praying, man. And then I'm looking at them. You know, I'm looking at them. I said, look here. These people are praying, buddy. Whoa. I mean, I'm Booger Booger Wellington, but these people are praying, man. Whoa. So then all of a sudden I saw the wave. You know, you see in the games they do the wave like that. They, they stand up and wave. Well, the first time I ever saw that was in that church. But they were doing it because the Spirit of God was hitting them. And they were waving, they were praying like that, and they were waving because nobody had their eyes open. They're not like Americans. They don't pray with their eyes open. We say watch and pray, so people just like pray with their eyes open like that, American praying. Okay. So anyway, they were <laughs> praying. They were praying hard. And all of a sudden, I'm looking at the Spirit of God moving. It's moving in that section. Then it's, he's moving. I said, look at this. And then, and then before you know it, I was caught up. I was praying. I was praying hard, man. And then an usher comes over to me and lays his hands on my head. And he says, fill him, Lord. 
Fill him with the Holy Ghost. Fill him with the Holy Ghost. I'm thinking, dude, you don't have no discernment here. Don't you know? <laughs> I'm Booger Booger Wellington. Man, up in here. Look. And so, and all of a sudden, it's like the Lord brought it to my attention. I took you to the grotto. You couldn't handle that. You had to leave early. Then I brought you in the masses with the people on the floor closest to the ground, which is where you came from. You couldn't handle humiliation and discomfort. And now I've prepared an usher for you. And this is what I realized. Beware how you entertain strangers lest you entertain angels unaware. In other words, even Jesus there, remember in Gethsemane, it says that when he was praying, could you not watch with me one hour? His, 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 the big three, Peter, James, and John, came with him there in, in, uh, in, in Matthew 27 there. Remember that? And then uh, an angel. I, you know, it was an angel. But you know what? It wasn't the pride of race or the pride of position or the pride of possessions. It was the pride of grace. I thought of myself more highly than I ought to think. And God had an usher for me, and I was about to turn away an angel. Because why? I was serious, but I was American serious. I wasn't serious at the level of those people. Those people would pray so hard, they would have to ring a bell in the microphone in order to get them to stop praying to go to the next topic of prayer. That's how intense they would be praying. I wasn't praying at that intensity. And that angel, that usher knew that I might have been filled with the Holy Ghost, but I leaked. I leaked. I wasn't as filled as I needed to be. And I said, oh, God, thank you. Please fill me. I lifted my hands in real surrender and said, please fill me with the Holy Ghost. And even though I said this to you before, it's worth hearing again. How serious are you? This is the year of the eight. Eight is the number of new beginnings. It's the new of freshness. It was God had to destroy a whole world of people. Only eight of them qualified to go to the new thing God was going to do. He was going to populate the whole earth on the basis of Noah and the and his seven, his children and his in-laws that came with him because they qualified. So you may be saved from hell, but you're living below the level of your birthright. Eight is the number for new beginnings. It's the number for fresh, freshness. It's the number for circumcision. I have the scriptures for it. You can look up that because Jesus even was circumcised on the eighth day. The day the day star shines in your heart. You see, the seventh day is the Sabbath. But in Jesus being born again and therefore resurrected, he introduced another day, which is the eighth day. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation, meaning that every day is the eighth day, the day the day star shines in your heart. Every day is to be like a Sabbath day to you. There are no days off in terms of serving God. Every day is like the Sabbath day. 
In the Old Testament now, you ceased from your own labor. But that's where your whole walk is with you, with God now, where you don't choose your priorities. You don't choose how you spend your money. You don't choose uh, how you live your life. God has already chosen that for you. Jesus paid the price. You have been born from above. You're in the world, but you're not of the world. You don't get your signals from the world. You get your signals from heaven. Amen. Now that you're saved, how close are you to the one who saved you? And that's really where I want to work today in talking about eternity training. Now, uh, let's go to scripture since you asked me and you want it real bad, you know you do. Let's, let's go to Scripture and look at a couple more things. Now, again, if you look at uh, Luke 2.21, it says now, And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcision, circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now, Paul also brought out that concept that I was called an apostle before I was conceived in my mother's womb. I'm talking on the general topic of eternity training. Now, another scripture was given to you. Let me go ahead and give you this while you are on fire begging me to give it to you. Let's, let's, let's look at it. <laughs> That's right. In Acts 17, look what it says here. Because you quoted a scripture similar. Now look how blind uh, so many uh, folks are concerning this passage in Acts 17. Verse 23 it says, For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with, with this inscription, To the unknown God. Now let me stop there for a minute. Now if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So how many of you are born again? Let me see. Let me see your hands up real high right now. Okay? All right. Now, the issue then is that if you're born again, you have eternal reality within you. You are in the world, but you are of God. There's something about you that represents two worlds. You are both human in that you came through the birth canal, the union of the marriage bed. Now, I'm ghetto and gutter by background. Now, my wife, she's uh, kind of elite. She married somebody from the ghetto. Her dad, when I met her in Germany, her dad was a colonel in the service. She, had, she lived in the big house. They had maids. She never learned how to clean houses that well. She <laughs> never had to do that. So, you know what I'm saying? You raised like that. She didn't, she didn't ask, hey, let me give you five things that are sovereign that you, don't, you didn't have anything to do with. Thank you very much. See, he knows with me screaming like this, I need to take a break for a minute and take a sip of water. But look, thank you very much. <laughs> thank you very much. Mm. But being that I'm old, I've been I take too much, or I wouldn't be able to finish my message. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Five things. Number one, you didn't choose your race. Sovereign issue. God decided it. Number two, you didn't, you didn't choose your gender. You didn't decide that. God decided it. Number three, you didn't choose which country you were born in. God decided that. Four, you didn't choose which family you were born in. God decided that. Five, you didn't choose who would lead you to Jesus and when you could. God chose that. Those are all sovereign issues. So for you to be complaining about any of that, I'm just a woman. 
Uh, there's this guy named Peter Daniels. He was doing a seminar recently at, for one of our leaders in Washington, D.C. He's a billionaire from Australia, Christian man. And this woman said, well, I, I started a business and I want to become, you know, very wealthy like you and empower the kingdom of God and be able to make money so I can finance the kingdom. And, she said, and, she, and he said, um, that's really wonderful. She said, but I'm a woman. I can't seem to get the banks to give me loans the same way as, uh, as a man. She says, what can I do? He says, don't worry about it. It'll never happen with you. Man, you know everybody, they were shocked. They said, oh, my God, what do you mean it'll never happen with me? He says, because as long as you think gender is a hindrance and that the banks are your source, you'll always be broke. <laughs> Woo! In other words, there are transcendent principles that are greater than gender. Like, for example, if you read Galatians chapter 5, they are called, verse 22 on, the fruit of the Spirit. One of the fruit is perseverance. I don't care if you've gone to five banks or ten banks. Those five that told you no should have been building a perseverance in you to be determined that if God wanted you to be an economic vehicle, because God says the gold is mine, the silver is mine, the issue wasn't whether you could be rich or be like a man or get what a man has. The issue was whether or not God has chosen you to finance the kingdom. Now, if you don't change your mind about what God has determined, then God will work in your behalf. But if you think that man can hinder what God's ordained to happen in your life, then you're going to fail because man becomes your source. Cursed is the man that puts his confidence in man and makes flesh his arm. You got to look every time, any noteworthy goal, you got to look past man to God. He's your source. Somebody shout it. God's my source. Glory to God. Oh, man. It's like, oh, boy. And so she got it. So perseverance. Watch. Perseverance is the poor man's wealth. That was way better than your response that time. <laughs> Perseverance. What are you talking about? Hebrews 10, 32, he says, it says, cast away your confidence, therefore, for it has great recompense of rewards. And it says in one case, look, in another version it says this, just as I was about to bless you, you quit. You gave in. Isn't that amazing? Think about it. When you decide not to quit, that means whatever is resisting you is going to wilt and lose. Why should you be the quitter if you're doing what God says? Look what the Bible says in what is it, Romans 8? If God be for you, who can be against you? That banker telling that woman, no, he's wasting his breath. Because what God has said yes to, anybody who goes against that is about to get beaten and guess what? God's going to get the glory, but you're going to get the money. <laughs> and not only that, while you, and, and look, in the process, you may move in your mentality because God was just testing you out. While you're trying to get a loan, God then would teach you, you should have become the bank. This side may have understood what I just said better. <laughs> See, in Deuteronomy 28, the Bible says, you should be the lender and not the borrower. But you cannot, with a borrower's mentality, become the lender. Watch. 
the borrower got the information that the borrower needs. And what is that? Credit, you know, right? You know, um, leveraging what maybe your information, leveraging, you know, your background, how you handle paying back your bills. But a, watch, a lender has to think differently. He has to find out different information than he has to find out how to be an entrepreneur, how money flows, where it goes, um, who's the t- who you're going to target, how to set up infrastructures. You've got to think differently. While this woman was going to get a loan, God was saying, I did not tell you I wanted you to start a bank. Now, I've had people tell me, ask me, Bishop, you know, how do you start, how do you start a company? Because I just don't seem to be able to know how to start a company. And, um, and uh, they said, and then they would say things like, I don't have enough money to start a company. Now, well, first of all, you asked me a question, then you made a statement. So you're saying that you need to have enough money to start a company, huh? So if you already know, then why are you asking me? Because you don't know. So, so humble yourself. And you got to understand there are a thousand ways to start a company. And, and many people don't even use their own money. They, don't, they understand something else called intellectual property. Your information is your money, knucklehead. You can create an economic portfolio. You can write out a strategic plan. You can look almost everybody, for example, who, who gets stuff from the government, who becomes a contractor with the government, they have to write out a plan. Some of them who work for the government understood how it worked, understood who the, who, the, who the key people are. Now watch. Watch this. Number one. Number two, I said intellectual property. Another one, brand name recognition. What do you mean? Your name has value or you know somebody with a name that becomes the vehicle to you getting what you want. You are one relationship away from being able to get what you want because somebody is going to make the decision. Thirdly, since you asked, somebody knows how to structure the idea because everything, every money is a vehicle, but the value is what you know. What are you talking about? You're one revelation away from crazy money. What do you mean? Information, you can go to school and get it and never get a job in the area you got your certification in because you knew how to test well. You didn't know how to use the information that you studied. This side seems to be getting a little better than you guys. Let me go back over here again. In other words, isn't it amazing when you study that another person came to the same wealthy man and he was a, happened to be a man and he says, look, he says, um, um, I know what you said to, that, to the lady, but however, um, I would like to become just like you and become a billionaire and really be able to finance the kingdom. And uh, first of all, they had the right motivation. I want to ask you, do you have that as a motivation? See, look. Why should God help you to become an economic vehicle? You're not. God says, let me get this straight. God says, the goal is mine, Haggai, right? Isn't it? Two. 
and the silver is mine, says the Lord. So you never, 1 Corinthians, I think it's 4, it says it's required of a steward. So you never own the money, you only steward it. Because God says the gold is mine. So can God trust you with money? To the degree that that money is used for the kingdom is the degree to which he trusts you. Now, some of you may have companies. You may have, have a lot of money. But you never thought of it the way it says it in Deuteronomy 18, 8, 18. He says God gives you power to create wealth to establish his kingdom in the earth. So you think the money that you control in the bank is your money. You have never gone up to Pastor Joaquin, who, look at this, changing the world. There was not hardly, in Jesus' day, there was hardly a man mentioned, except after he died, Joseph of Arimathea, whose, whose grave site where Jesus was, was what he had done for himself, he finally gets the picture that when Jesus dies, he then uses his burial uh, plot where Jesus could be buried in. So, but during the rest of Jesus' life, he's not mentioned as someone who financed Jesus. Guess who financed Jesus and his disciples? Women. Because men didn't man up. There you go. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's good. That's real good right there. They didn't man up. They were girls when it comes to being able to be available to God to use what was already God's money. They act like you were the one. They, they, were, they got their intellect themselves that God didn't give it to them. They act like that they didn't get any favor with, from anybody in order to be able to get to where they are. They did it all by themselves. Nobody has done it by themselves. God allowed you to be able to do that. But you're, you're missing vacuum. Let me tell you something. If you've made money and you do not have as a priority the tithe and also giving for the kingdom, that money, every cent you spend, has no redemptive value and perishes while you spend it. Inside of you, you don't feel good about your money. As a matter of fact, you're nervous about it, no matter how much you have. Why? Because we're, getting, we're living in a day now where more and more distrust, systemic evil, meaning banks will rob you, blue, but they'll rob you clearly right now. Well, it used to be the larger companies were the ones that was fair because they were already making, because of their volume, large sums of money. So they didn't cheat you as easily. But now, I mean, like the banks, they get tarp money. They got tarp money already for all this, what happened to the economy. Then they started doing modification loans and taking people's property. I mean, just on the news last night, they were talking about how some of the banks are correcting some of the stuff that they did. They did. But many of you are Hispanics. Well, guess what? Wells Fargo, BB&T, Bank of America, numbers of those banks, some of them were fined by the Justice Department several hundred millions of dollars because of, of their cheating two groups of people, Hispanics and blacks. Why? Because they charged them a higher interest amount than they did the majority of Americans and... They foreclose on their homes faster. That's, that's the issue. That, that's in the news right now. The foreclosure, some of those people now who they're foreclosing on quickly, they're, they're making midstream adjustments because why? They got fined. Well, Wells Fargo, for example, they got fined two to three hundred million. But watch the, watch the, what happened? How much did they make that year? 14.6 billion. 
So the fat boys think like this. So, mm, let me see. Let me work this out. Cost-benefit ratio. I will take the, mm, the two to three hundred million fine to make fourteen billion. I think that's a good, good risk. That's what they do. But they don't know. Watch this. In as much as you've done it to the least of these, you you did it to me. You offended God. Oh yeah. See, you may have money, but you're mistaken. The money has you. You make your determinations based on money, not revelation. The truth of the matter is, you don't have inside of you a divine sense of what God wants out of your life. You're defined by the money. People come to you and they kiss up to you by money. They think you're rich. You, do, you act like you don't like it, but you love that. Shame on you. Listen, I had a friend of mine. Uh, the devil's trying to steal my time, but I'm not letting him. Uh, I said, I need a nice ball mark so I can mark my ball on a golf course. And um, he said, I think I got something. I said, what? He went in his safe, and he got me a one-ounce Krugerrand out. And I said, Exactly. And then he said, well, you need at least two of them. So he got me another one. And then, so I was using it on 9-11, actually. I was on a golf course when that 9-11 situation happened. And I had put that golf ball mark down, marked my ball with it. And the guy saw it. He says, well, what is that? I said, ball mark. He says, it looks like it's gold. I said, Exactly. He says, well, what is it worth? I said, it's a ball mark. He said, but I mean, is it real? I said, yeah, it's a real ball mark. <laughs> See, no, he was talking about the value of it in terms of the market. Well, that piece of gold, that Krugerrand, was one ounce. It was one ounce solid gold, somewhere around 24 carats. And like some of you, probably don't know this, but when you say, I want this ring, and, and I, I had a person say to us recently, this is, this, this, these diamonds, and uh, it's set in 14 karat gold. Well, let me tell you something. Almost all the Europeans will tell you that 14 karat gold is not gold. It's an American invention. It is not even mostly gold. It's mostly something else, some other mixture not even real silver, but it's not gold. You got to get to 18 karat gold to at least get over the 50% margin, somewhere around 60 to 70%. But you got to go to 24 karat gold to get gold. Now, the reason that a lot of it isn't because it's soft, it's softer. The, the, the purer it is, the softer it is, okay? No extra charge for that, don't even worry about it, okay? <laughs> so anyway, so he said exactly. So this guy was saying, how much is it worth? Well, that particular time, it was worth maybe about $900 an ounce. And he said, he said, well, you use that as a ball mark? I said, exactly. Now, I told him, I said, if I had a million of these, I wouldn't be worth any more than what I'm worth now. Do you get that? What do you mean? Because that goal did not determine my value. A man determined the value of that goal. That piece of corn doesn't even know what it is. 
It's just sitting there, right? Go ahead. Move. Go ahead. Move. Talk to me. Come on. Say something. All right. Can't do nothing. Because a man decided to make it into a medium of exchange. A man took wood and made it into paper, decided to write on it, and make it a promissory note. The money you got. You can have a $100 bill or a $1,000 bill. But it has on a promise. What's worth something is the promise behind that note. That's worth money. What the church don't even know is what its real value is. It doesn't even know that its great value is to take the money and make it into something that will glorify God and produce the kingdom. Don't come up here and ask me for it either. This is real Walmart. So. Do you hear what I'm saying here? Now, I got a friend that I've talked with. He had 30 millionaires in his particular church. And he, they have said, God has given us the power to make money so we can make sure that the kingdom of God goes in your church. They've gone up to the past and said, look, we, we want to make sure that what God has spoken to you will happen. So he asked me if I'd speak to him. Well, I spoke to, the, there were about 20 of them that was worth over $10 million. And they said, look, you know, how could we do this? And uh, what could we do? What do you know about history? I could tell them about history. I knew about the benevolent empire, 1835. These Christians in 1800s, led by Arthur and Lewis Tappan, two businessmen out of New York, they got together the great rich people of their day and raised enough money to equal the entire budget of the United States government. If true Christians would really be true Christians, God would let us set the bar of what real money is, not some secular people. I live in Atlanta where Ted Turner, Ted Turner is down to now under $10 billion and he says he's broke because of what he used to own. He's the one that provoked Gates and told him it behooves a man that if you are wealthy to give back. And so what does Ted Turner do? He gives to the environment. He hates God because his, sister, his sibling died, and, and he doesn't know why God. How could it be a God let his sibling die? Well, just because you don't know God doesn't mean you blame God, knucklehead. God's the creator. He's the author of life. He's the sustainer of life. God can, he says, one vessel have I raised up. I raised up one vessel of honor and one of dis, a vessel of dishonor. He says in Romans 9, Pharaoh have I raised up that I may show forth my glory. So the thing made, say to the one that made it, why have you made me thus? That's why this, this coin can't say to me, well, why are you using me as a ball mark? It can't talk. It doesn't define itself. A man defines it. God defines us. There's certain questions you don't ask God. You just submit to God. But when you really know God, it's a privilege for you to give your money. So I talked with these that's worth over 100 million. They didn't mind sharing it. What can we do? What's your vision, Pastor? Lay it out. Can I help you with the structures of how we can do it more effectively? Because if I know how to establish a global company, then the word is worth way more than my company. Then maybe we can get the word out even greater. Your pastor could be working the law field. I just consecrated my associate, which you had my goddaughter here. Krista was here for a number of years. 
she, she was here just to tell you to kind of, she learned Spanish and she tried to speak fluent. She took it in school. She loves it. And she wanted to be here with the church of a godly man. And, and, and she was blessed by being here those four years. Man, she's still going for God. Her brother is in West Point right now. He's a senior. He speaks fluent Portuguese. He preaches in Portuguese right now. The other son is in California. He has 25 artists. He's raising up a disciple that are, all, that are out there doing stuff. That's Garland's son. That's Krista's daddy's son. I just consecrated him, and he became the pastor of the church right now so I can get out and scream at people like I'm screaming at you right now. <laughs> yes, glory to God. Come on. Who will write down on a piece of paper? I'm going to go to my pastor and say, I want to help you finance the kingdom. I'm not going to let you keep talking about changing the world and not be able to know that it takes money to change the world. For me to get my company growing, it takes money. Don't act like you don't know that. But if God says, I give you power to get wealth, if you give your money to the kingdom, don't you think God can make you the new Bill Gates? The shame about Gates, I asked a friend of mine, I said, what is humanism? He says, humanism is the king's answers without the king. What do you mean? Giving to good causes. I don't care if it's the Red Cross. I don't care if it's Cancer Society. You can wear all the little yellow things on it you want. But if Jesus doesn't get the glory for it, you'll get no rewards for it in the great day. Jesus is the bottom line for benevolence. Who will become a man? Look, so the Luke 8 company, read it in the, in the, in the Amplified. If you can get the Amplified version up there and put it Luke 8, 1 through 3. And I said this to you before. I'm saying it again. I, I can see right now. There's some disobedient people in here. Because I asked the pastor, who's come up to you and said to you, I'm going to help you finance the kingdom of God? What are you afraid of? If you can start a company that be built to what it, look what you had to go against. You were going against the world and beat them and became wealthy. You mean you can't support a man of God? that's living it before you, he can do you what you do. He can go out and, and become an attorney. I mean, look, if in the natural, all he has to do is become an immigration attorney. I mean, look, with, with, with this present president, they're pro-immigration right now. You show people how they can get their citizenships in America. <laughs> you got And look, and let's face it, some of those people got cash. They got cash. I mean, I come down here. A lot of you folks down here got money. My wife and I were over to, uh, what, Doral? What's that mall? Huh? Dolphin. Oh, yeah, we're there. I mean, look, the only, I've been to malls, okay? Atlanta got some serious malls. I'm from Atlanta. Atlanta got some serious malls, you know. Buckhead. Oh, you know, down there, you go in there, you go to the malls. Okay, none of them are packed like your malls. Those malls are packed. I mean, these are mobs of people. I got to watch out, make sure they don't pick my pocket. They're so close to me. Wow, man, they got some money. They're spending money like that. They're spending money. Man, and then you go to Orlando, packed. These malls are packed. These are foreigners. These aren't Americans. Americans, they feel crying about, well, the economy is on the upturn now, and they're saving everything. But from the foreign nations, they're spending. They're spending. They got money. They say, well, they're all wasting. Not all of them. Some of them are rich. They got money. Because why? Look what the Bible says. The last shall be first. And the new servant people group of America are black or are, are, are Hispanics 
or Latino, let me say it that way, okay? Like that better. What do you mean? They take, take the several jobs. But the difference between them and American blacks is American blacks, they don't want to do the service. They don't want to they don't want to build houses anymore. They don't want to clean a house. They don't want to do McDonald's anymore. But look, Hispanics do it until they find out how to get one on their own. They're doing it so that they can start one on their own. They come over here with an entrepreneurial mentality. They're not trying to retire nowhere. They're trying to start their own business. And that's how that's a mentality. You got to have that mentality. God says, I give you power to create wealth. You'll hardly ever get your wealth from a job, nine to five. And nowadays, the way they're ripping you off, you can hardly get retirement from it. Because now they try to buy you out early. You understand? You got 28 years. They buy I can't tell you how many people as a bishop I know where the companies bought them out early so they wouldn't have to get all their money. And some of those business guys, their goal, they fire them early over stupid stuff that wasn't even right. See? you got to think as an entrepreneur. entrepreneur. Okay, i got to start my ending, and I hate closing. So i got to start towards my closing right now and end this thing. I'm going to not preach this same message in the next service, even though I have a translator. I love translation, too. I love foreigners. I mean, I love, this is all God. Hey, you got to Acts 17 yet? Okay. Well, Luke 7, Luke, Luke 8, 1 through 3, you can see that women finance the kingdom of God, Jesus' ministry. Now, you got to take responsibility, men. Why should your wife be married to you and you, she has your name if she's living more like God than you are? Maybe you should take her name. You got to man up and stop this foolishness now. Michael Yusuf, Church of the Apostles in Atlanta, a hundred millionaires in his church. He built a facility that expanded on it that seats now 3,000, built deck parking. Businessman comes to them and, say, and says to him, do you have the proper parking you need? Deck parking. They don't go out in the rain. Deck care what the weather is doing. Why? Because we're not broke. We're not, we're not doing that. We don't have to do that. We'll, 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 we'll man the elements when we do missions, but at home, we got it going on. We got it comfortable. When y'all can go ahead on and buy a facility for him here. Why does he have to initiate everything? What would it take to build a nice facility that would put the training facilities you need, the highest level of technology, I saw the guys when they built this, and guys did it. I saw what you did. You guys don't mind progression. You don't mind that. But there, there are some people here that in this church, because God said, he said to Moses, what's that in your hand, Moses? Meaning that I called you, but you got something right in your hand that could take care of what I called you to do. Just like you are in here that could take care of the vision of this man. Right now, you're in here. But you don't understand how to trust God. You think you got to where you are on your own? You don't want to be known as somebody that empowered the kingdom. What better goal could you have? Come on. Blow this man's mind. When he comes back, he's going to come back tonight. I heard they, they get, they're getting him out of there. He's reaping too much havoc over there, <laughs> up there north. No, they threatened the snow again, so they let him come out and come home tonight. So thank God for him. But he's, he's doing it. 
But you got to blow his mind. You know, I, I, I do stuff for Pat Robertson. This is the last two birthdays, 80th and 75th and 80th. I was the one that did uh, the speech for his 80th birthday celebration to the major board members. I was the one that did it. And so this is the first one I won't be able to be there. I just found out the dedication of a new building in Richmond. They just canceled, so I probably possibly will be able to be there. It's going to be in Washington, D.C. But he trusts me. Pat trusts me. Kenneth Copeland was there, if you heard of him, Jack Hayford, but I was the keynote person. Why? Because the issue with them is still somebody they can trust with talking to the major donors. Because why? I'm not asking them for anything. I'm talking kingdom and eternity. I'm talking eternity. That's way more important. Now watch. Let me end this. By, I'm going to start off with this next service and go into it with you. But watch. How much are you pursuing God? I'm talking about the knowledge of God. How close are you to him? Listen, you know what we've been taught through the years? There's a mistake too. That being saved means you're going to miss hell and go to heaven. And so the idea of salvation is to get to heaven. And you, you haven't been reading the New Testament. Let me give you a quote as verse for you. Romans 8, 29. And whom he did foreknow, him he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. Let me quote another one. When you see him, you should be like him, for you'll see him as he is. Now watch. The degree to which your prayer life is real, the degree to which you get on your knees and you really sense God is there, that's the degree to which you're changed. You're no more like God than the vitality of your personal prayer life with God alone. Because the goal of God isn't natural accomplishments like, the, like, the, like America thinks. The goal of God is to make you like his son. Isn't that how he created the first man, Adam? Then he said, I create Adam in my image after my likeness. And then he said, dominate. So watch, preceding character formation, what you're becoming, is way more important than what you accomplish. You become like him by being around him. And without repentance and the blood cleansing, you're not that close to him. If you always come to God for his hands, what he can do for you, a bigger house, another car, my children, my husband, my job. Wait a minute, that's, that's all stuff that's earthly. What about, Lord, I want a greater passion for prayer. God, I want to be more like you in my attitude. Lord, I want my words to be filled with grace and power. The man of God said up here, he said, it's not, watch, it's not just in word but in power. But watch, here's how we think about it. We think about Jesus demonstrating signs, wonders, miracles. But look what it says about Jesus. It says, first of all, at age 12, he was bar mitzvah. Secondly, for the next 18 years, he received rabbinic training. He only ministered three and a half years. So watch. He prepared for 30 years, because 30 is the number for the end of testing, to minister three and a half. Preparation for what you are becoming is way more important than what you accomplish.
Isn't that true in the natural? You went to elementary school, then junior high, then high, then college. Look at all those years you spent before you can be what? Trusted to go out. And then more than likely, if you work for a company, they had to train you for a while. Then after training you, then they watched you for a while. And if you weren't good during the training period, guess what? You'd be looking for another job. Preparation. But in God, preparation is by revelation. The Spirit of God comes to make himself known to you. And watch. To the degree that you know the Holy Ghost is the degree to which you're serious about God. As long as the Holy Ghost, he's left here. He was sent to be Jesus in the earth. He was sent to transform you. If you don't let him transform you, if you don't let him set your priorities, then you set them. You're saying that God's going to do what you want rather than you do what he wants? No, no. You're no more serious than the level of the leadership of the Holy Ghost in your life. He cannot return back to heaven until he brings the church to this place called glory. See? Oh, yeah. I, I can show you. I showed him. Uh, Bishop Hunt and I are going to be speaking. Listen, uh, in Richmond here in another couple of days. I mean, not Richmond, but Atlanta in another few days. Because why? The mayor of that city fires. He fires a gay mayor. I, I mean, he fires a, 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 a chief of fire department because he wrote a book called Who Told You You Were Naked? And he defines the family. He says the family is a man and a woman. And then he defines what homosexuality means according to the Bible. And he explains it. But the mayor says that you should have got approval to be able to publish a book. Well, that information he was teaching was what he taught in his Sunday school class at church. And then his Sunday school class said, could you publish this? Could you do a book on this? He did a book. He went to HR and got permission. They thought it was okay. But what happened is after the book was published, there is a, a city council member who was gay. He read it. He said, this is wrong. This is homophobia. Then, boom, went to the mayor. The mayor then listened to him. And then they went to LBGT president in Atlanta. And he insisted that you fire that chief of police, chief of the fire department, who, by the way, was selected by the president to be over all the fire departments in America. He was the number one most sought-after fire chief in America. He's a high-character man. Not one accusation that he ever favored anybody over anybody else in terms of that. He was just stating what he believed in the Bible, and he gets fired. Well, now the church is raised up now because of freedom of speech and freedom of religion. Look at us, reactionary rather than proaction. We're reactive. Your pastor is a proactive pastor. He's visionizing. He's not reacting to the culture of debauchery. He's taking the gospel to the whole world. Everybody that wants it, you get some of it. Oh, yeah, I love it. Oh, I love it. I want to pray for you now and... You know what? If some of you can see this level, you have oil in here? Oil? You have oil? Not, not right now. I'm going to do it for the next service because it has to cost them something. You stay for the next service? Look, look. Exodus 40, 15 says, your anointing shall qualify you. As, watch. Means 
I want to anoint you in the power of the eight. Two, zero, one, five. David said, I refuse to give God anything that costs me nothing. If you can't sacrifice dinner, if you can't stay for a little while afterwards, and what I want to do is I want to go through there and anoint every one of you to seal you in the new beginning because some of you need a freshness. Some of you need the anointing oil. You need to be greased down a little bit. You need a little bit of anointing on you. Look, I'm not going to prophesy over you, but I am going to grease you down and at least touch you, put something on you that mocks you for God. You've got to have it now. Because what is happening now in this new eight, he's making a difference between the clean and the unclean, the holy and the profane. Some of you are in the middle of business decisions, and you need God's help in it. Because what's happening right now is God's letting you make all that, those things that you're doing, and you're finding there's a dark part in it. Well, God already knew that. But when you say, God, I'll rededicate myself to you for the sake of you doing something, that this, it has to be you, the only explanation, that it could happen at this level. Why shouldn't you go to a level that the only explanation is, i got to say, Almighty God, help me. Why aren't you bold enough to say, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior? Why aren't you? Because it takes dedication. It takes the mark of that anointing oil. The glory, the latter-day glory, is what you got to have. Well, I'm going to pray a prayer for you because I care about you. I know there's a generation that's seeking after God. I know there's a generation that wants it. And I, I believe that after the fast, my wife and I just came off of too. Before that, we were on 24-day total fast, 25 for me. Because, you know, God didn't tell me. Just, I said, I'm not eating anything because it takes a new anointing to deal with the kind of evil that seems the devil is presenting. But you know what? The heel of the woman is going to bruise the head of the church. Uh, I mean, of the serpent. I'm going to step on his head. But you need an anointing on your head because your, your mind is what gets in the way. Thinking. You need revelation. That doesn't come through thinking. God gives it to you. You need God to give you insight. His insight is way better than anything you could think of in a thousand years. Let's bow our heads now. My Father, I thank you so much for these under the sound of my voice. These are the ones. And, of course, I presented them something that cost them something. Yes, because to offer cheap grace, like so many people are talking about now, cheap grace. Jesus paid the price, therefore you don't have to do anything but just exist. Oh, God, forgive these people for teaching these people that. Here you paid the price. Every one of the apostles died as martyrs except maybe one. And yet they're being told they don't have to do anything but just apply to themselves what Jesus did and therefore just live any kind of way. God loves you. Lord, deliver, deliver them from that kind of thinking. Let them know that Jesus, yeah, he did pay the price for them to be saved. But everything else, they pay the price for that. Thank you so much for what you're doing in their lives. I pray now for the new financiers to come forth now. Not be afraid. Go to that pastor. Write down on a piece of paper and say, I'm one of the ones that's not afraid to ask you, what can I help you accomplish for God? And I know that some of you have come to the pastor and said that, and I know how he is, and he probably said, 
you ask God. And then now you can say back to him, I'm asking you. And tell so that you can know because you're not sure. You're my pastor. And, and then make him tell you. You go ahead and do it. And we're going to see the world one like we've never seen it before. Yes. And where you need to repent, where you've done wrong, where you've been lax, where you've been more into football, all these other things. It's okay to be into it, but not at the at the cost of being truly devout as a Christian. May you say God to God, I'm sorry. Maybe you're in here th today and you said, I know I'm not really saved like he's been talking about. I'm not going over to Korea and pray like that. I'm not going to pray all night. I'm not fasting like that either. But I know it's right to do it. God, touch my heart that I might give myself fully over to you and be available for whatever. Thank you for hearing my prayer. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. God bless you.